0: we'd heed them and find strength and joy for living the life you've called us to live. And so as we look at an ancient book, Solomon's book, Ecclesiastes, that you would open it up to us and, and show us your words in it. Yes, we'll hear Solomon's take on things, but we know that we we'll are also hear you in it because you inspired him to write. These are your words and they stand forever. Thank you for them. And may we grow from them. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, what a great Sunday. And I'm thinking, 30 years, and, I, and I'm preaching Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I don't know how that connects at all. But, maybe at some point in the sermon I'm going to make a connection to the 30 years. You know, we'll see. I have no idea. But... uh As I was reflecting this morning and hearing the Bonac share, which was amazing, I I just, you know, it's like I could have preached a message on God's faithfulness today, but I'm trusting that since he didn't give me that uh, thought earlier than today, I won't uh, change course right now. I'll have you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Just a reminder again, there's no children's church this summer, so we're not dismissing kids at this time. Um. If you go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, again, easy way to find it, Psalms is kind of in the middle. And then you go Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Song of Solomon's Reflections on Life and the Meaning of It. And uh, we're going to spend the summer looking at it and growing from it. The question I'd like to answer this morning is... What's wrong with the pursuit of happiness? What's wrong with the pursuit of happiness? And by that, I do not mean, uh, well, let's put it this way. We all do things every day that make us happy. You know, you get up and have a cup of coffee. Why do you do that? Some of you are drinking it right now. I saw you take a drink. Um, <laughs> um, why do you do that? Because it makes you happy in the morning, and that's what you need. Uh, So I'm I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about pursuing happiness as the end goal of life. What's the point of my marriage to make me happy? What's the point of my job to make me happy? What's the point of getting a paycheck to buy things that make me happy? What's wrong with the pursuit of happiness as an end goal? And yes, I know I've recalled the language of the Declaration of Independence and Thomas Jefferson. Uh, I'll refer to him later if I remember. Hopefully I remember. Uh, but uh, he, I think he had something specific in mind when he wrote that phrase. But, but you know what it means to us today. The pursuit of happiness is doing things that make me happy. That give me pleasure and joy and, and, and some sort of meaning. Okay, So... Take a look at verse 1 of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Solomon says, I thought of my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Now, he's setting up what he's going to be talking about. He's going to talk about all the different things that he does to get pleasure and happiness. He says, I'm going to test my heart with pleasure. And I'm going to read all of the things that he does in just a second. Before I read them, I just want you to consider what he's saying. He's saying, I, King Solomon, am in a unique position in this life. I have huge, vast resources and wealth. I can enjoy anything that I want. In fact, later he's going to say, all the desires of my heart were fulfilled I mean, that is pretty crazy to think about, it. But, but he's King Solomon, he can do it. I mean, you think about this, he's doing it for you so that you don't have to do it. I go into, uh, I go into lickety splits and sometimes I try a new flavor because I want to see if it's something that I like, but have I ever tried all, how many flavors is there? Are the curns here? Where are they at? 28. Have I ever tried, I knew, I knew it, yeah. I was going to say 30 though, I was going to be my guess, um, if, have you ever tried all 28 to figure out the one that you really want? The one that's going to make you happy in that moment? Has anyone ever done that? Of course not. Not that you know of. Yeah, you wouldn't do that. You'd be full by the end of trying all 28. Now that I've put that thought into some of your immature hearts, you're going to go out and... Uh... <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't do it. Um, Solomon is saying, I've tried all 28 flavors. Let me tell you about it meaningless. It's meaningless. Now, the word meaningless is is the word hebel. The word hebel. And, and, and hebel is literally translated vapor or breath. Vapor or breath. It's just a breath. And so figuratively you read hebel and you go, okay, a, a breath is brief. It's here now and gone the next. Vapor. It's there. Disappears. Hebel. So in a figurative sense, you could translate it meaningless, or vanity, or, or I think often when you read Ecclesiastes, Solomon's thinking, no profit, no lasting value. It maybe has immediate value, and it lasts for a little bit, but then it's gone. It has no permanent eternal value. Hebel. So, uh, I know the NIV is going to translate Hebel meaningless almost every time, I think, in this book. But uh, I think it's better just to call it Hebel. It's a breath. It's a vapor. It's here now and gone the next. It doesn't last long. Okay, so let's see what he tested, all of the flavors of life that he could. Here he goes, verse 2. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind was still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs of, water groves of uh, to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In this and all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. And this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So what did Solomon experience here that was so great and so amazing? He's like, i got houses. I've got slaves. I've got singers. Some uh, interpreters like to say that the harem is actually, it sounds similar to the word flutes. But when he says all that a, har- uh, all that a man desires, I think he really does mean a harem. I think he means sexual pleasure. Uh, because a flute, I don't think, gives that much uh, that you desire in your heart. Sorry, flute players. Just, just, that's, I think that's what he means. Um, but, uh, so, so if his heart desired something, he got it. He experienced it. For you so you don't, sorry, so you don't have to, so you don't have to experience it. Should I shake this a little bit? Here we go. All right. Well, we'll see. Okay. So, having experienced all of that, and some of it sounding uh, not necessarily according to God's morality, you can look at uh, Torah and find places that give kings guidelines for how to live, and this is not it. But this is what he did this is what he did, and so he uh, had all the pleasure that he wanted, and he says, it's meaningless. Now, what I want to do is get beyond the Hebel of it all, and I want to look at why it's Hebel. Why is the pursuit of happiness as your end goal? Why is that Hebel? I'm not saying happiness is Hebel, but I'm saying, why is the pursuit of happiness as the chief goal of our lives Hebel? Okay? Okay. I'm going to have you skip over a few verses and go to verse 17. Because for a few verses, Solomon talks about wisdom, and that would take us much longer than I have time for today. So he talks about wisdom for a few verses, uh, how it's better to be wise than to be a fool. Even if, even if everything's Hebel, it's still better to be wise. But I want you to pick it up in verse 17. Here is his reflection on the laughter, the wine, the women, the projects, the houses, the vineyards, the waters, the reservoirs. Here's his reflection on all of that. Here it is, 17. "'So I hated life, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is hebel, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool?' Yet he will have control over all the work into which i poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is Hebel. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All of his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless or hebel. Now, what's the problem with the pursuit of happiness as the end goal of life? Well, if you look at what we've read here, look at verse 10 again. I denied myself, myself nothing my eyes desired. I I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took no delight in all my work. And this was the reward for all my labor. The reward was the temporary pleasure of what he just did. It was there, and then it was gone. Would you also look at verse uh, 18? Look at verse 18. I hated all the things I toiled for. You mean those things that made you happy? Yeah, I hated those things. Under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. Now, I'll talk about the one that comes after in a second. But but looking at this from one angle, Solomon is saying the old adage, you can't take it with you. It's temporary. It's here now and it's gone. And even even if you can have something that gives you pleasure throughout your life, you're going to die and you're going to leave those things. Even if you make a ton of money, you're going to die and leave it behind. All pleasure is is temporary. The problem with pleasure is that it's not forever. That's the problem with it. There have been a few Christmases and birthdays where I bought my uh, boys a toy helicopter that flies. You know, you have a little remote control, and, and you push the throttle up, and then the thing starts spinning, and the helicopter takes off. You know how long they usually last? A day, two days. I think one Christmas, it literally did not last the day. I, I think, even in the snow, I think we took it outside and, try, and, and somehow it tried to fly over the house, which is not a good idea. And uh, it came crashing down. And that's just what happens. And yet, that's what my boys wanted more than anything else. Get me a toy helicopter. Stupid dad, you should have bought him one made out of steel or something. I don't know. Uh, but uh, all that to say... Like helicopters, the pleasure that we experience in the moment is, in fact, temporary. You should note this. Those of us that are tempted by uh, the immorality in the world, the pleasure's in the moment. The emptiness comes next. The money that you receive, that you buy things with, bring this temporary rush and temporary thrill It doesn't last as long as we wish it would. I remember uh, looking at a YouTube commercial for some old car. I don't remember what old car it was, but it wasn't a classic car. It was just an old, ugly 80s car, you know? And it's like, this commercial is extolling the virtues of this car, and you're going, who wants that now, you know? None of us. But at the moment, somebody wanted that really bad. It's temporary. Your cars will be old in a few years. They'll be worn out. And you'll have to get a new one. It's temporary pleasure. So that's one of the reasons the pursuit of happiness as an end goal is so meaningless. Second reason it's so meaningless. Uh, We already alluded to this in verse 18 and 19. I'll read it one more time. I hated all the things I toil for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all my work, into which I poured my effort and skill under the sun. This, too, is Hebel. You don't know who's going to get your stuff. And maybe your kids will get your stuff. Will, Will they appreciate it? Or will it just be like a handout that they just use up? Right? You worked hard for that. You worked hard for all the money in your bank account and you're going to leave that and they're just going to blow it on stuff. That's not really fair. Because you put in hard work for that, they didn't. And yet they feel entitled to it. Have you seen the fights over the will that happens sometimes even at the funeral as it's going on? I've seen it. That's not the pastoral work that you enjoy seeing. And I've seen it. I won't belabor the point there. Thirdly, look at verse 22 and 23. The third reason the pursuit of happiness is is ultimately meaningless is, he says, uh, verse 22, What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days his work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind doesn't rest. This too is meaningless. It's Hebel. Uh, He says, The problem with happiness is you work hard for it. I worked hard to get that car. I worked hard to buy that boat. I worked hard to be in the house that we're in today. I worked hard to have this much money for retirement. But all of those years were hard on me. And there was anxiety. And it was just difficult. But I got the things that I know are going to make me happy. What about all the unhappiness that you experienced getting there, you know? What about those years and those days? Some of us hear about. CEOs and how much they make, the millions, the millions that they make, and the bonuses that they give themselves. And, and we're kind of appalled by a lot of that. Do you know what a CEO's schedule is like, though? I do. Not that I've been one. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, here's uh, AOL CEO Tim Armstrong wakes up at 5 a.m. out of the house and working from his car by 7 a.m., works till 7 p.m. So 7 a.m., 7 p.m. Uh, he starts sending, usually starts sending emails immediately after waking up, but now he restrains himself to start sending emails at 7 a.m. Weekends are his family time, but he's back at work at 7 p.m. on Sundays. Helena Morrissey, CEO of Newton Investment, gets up at 5 a.m. in the morning, sometimes earlier, and immediately starts sending emails until her kids get up. She has family dinner scheduled about 7.30 p.m., but then works, goes right back to work after that, sometimes for two more hours to prep for the next day's meetings. Uh, Vodafone CEO Vittorio Kalao is up at 6 a.m., exercises for 40 minutes, then works nearly continuously until 10.45 p.m., pausing only for family dinner. Now, I think the CEO's, even though they're getting paid big bucks, prove Solomon's point. You can have it all, but there's a cost on the way to getting it all. And are you really willing to pay that cost to have it all, quote-unquote, all that happiness that you can now buy yourself? They agree. They agree. And I'm not saying those CEOs are saying it's all Hebel. Maybe they're doing their work as gladly as they can, but they prove Solomon's point is right and true. What's work like in your life? What hours do you pull? How does your family sacrifice in your pursuit of happiness? Who suffers? And is that what God intended for you? By the way, that's a question I ask myself a lot too, because pastors can work long hours as well and need to keep watch over their schedule. It's not you, it's me too. And lastly, uh, you kind of probably picked this up by reading between the lines, right? Verse 17, so I hated life, right? And then verse 20, so my heart began to despair. Uh, So what he's saying is the happiness that you're actually seeking is turning into despair. The thing that I wanted by working these long hours is driving me crazy. I'm starting to hate life. The happiness that I thought I was going to get from marrying the perfect person is now turning into despair because I found out they're not the perfect person. (laughs) Neither am I. The things that you think will make you happy, because you placed all your hope in them, end up making you hate life. Because that's what Solomon did. I'm seeking happiness and experiencing all of these pleasurable things. And I hated it. So, the next time you say, but I haven't tried that flavor of ice cream. I don't own that nice of a car, that nice of a boat, that nice of a house. I don't make that much money. My spouse isn't that great. Oh, dare you say that? But maybe you say it in your heart. You should stop yourself and say, If it all was perfect, I'd still despair. So maybe my problem lies elsewhere. Okay, so Solomon, your problem lies elsewhere. Tell me about it. Okay, end of the passage. Here we go. Verse 24. A man can do nothing better. Oh, this is such a hard passage. I'm not even going to tell you what I think about it. Um, The word better is not really there in the text. The NIV translators and most other Bible translators put that word in there because this phrase is similar throughout the book. What if you took out the word better? They would say, a man could do nothing than eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too I see is from the hand of God. You can do nothing. I mean, to just eat and drink. You're not going to figure things out. For without him who can eat or find enjoyment? And then verse 26. Here's where Solomon goes for it to the man who pleases him, meaning God. God gives wisdom and knowledge and happiness, but to the sinner he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth and handing it over to the one who pleases God. This too is Hebel, a chasing after the wind. Do you catch it? His conclusion then is, and here's here's your uh, conclusion on your notes, please God and he'll give you wisdom and knowledge and happiness. And maybe you underline happiness, since that's what we're talking about this morning. Please God. And God says, I'll just give it to you. i got a lot of joy to hand out. I'd like you to have some. And you're pleasing me, so here it is. Here it is. Tell me a verse in the Bible that tells us to seek our own joy. Do you know one? Tell me the verse in the Bible that commands us to pursue our own happiness. The Bible has a lot to say about happiness and joy, but it never tells you to go after it. Isn't that weird? Now, someone will come up after me and probably have a good one, but as far as I know, it's not in there. It's, it's just not in there. Jesus' words. Let's suppose that Jesus agrees with Solomon here. You think he's probably got some things to say that sound like this. Uh, first verse, first passage. Uh, John fifteen ten. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Would you like complete joy in this life? Would you like to get rid of despair, depression, anxiety? I know depression is a loaded word that sometimes has chemical uh, reasons, so I, 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 you know, I'm going to be careful there. Okay? I realize medication does help in some ways um, with some chemical imbalances. But, if you obey my commands, and then he says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. You've told me what, Jesus? Well, you told me to obey your commands and remain in your love. You made a statement that I'm supposed to obey, so that I get this complete joy. Could it be then that following Jesus' commands leads to my ultimate happiness? Uh, next passage uh, should be Matthew, right? Yeah, Matthew 6:31. Jesus says, "So don't worry, saying what will we eat and what will we wear, what coffee will we drink in the morning, or what? Uh, yeah." Uh, for the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need caffeine. But seek first his kingdom. I just couldn't let it go, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> I don't drink coffee, so there. Um, <laughs> seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you as well. So so you don't worry about what you're going to eat. Eating makes me happy. What you're going to wear, I like dressing nicely. Uh, those things give me personal happiness but God knows I need those things. He knows I do need to eat during the day. And yet if I seek Him first, He's going to work out all those other things in my life. He comes first. You get the trend we're going for here? And, and then, in case you thought it was just Jesus, let's go back to the Old Testament. Isaiah, oh, this is, I love this passage. I mean, I've loved it for years. Oh my goodness. Uh, Isaiah fifty-eight thirteen. If you keep your feet From breaking the Sabbath and doing as you please on my holy day. If you call the Sabbath a delight, even if the preacher preaches too long and drives you crazy. If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable. If you honor it by not going your own way and doing as you please and speaking idle words. Then, right? Then you will find your joy in the Lord, your joy in Yahweh, and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of Yahweh has spoken. Man, if I would just obey his commands. He says, I've got joy to hand out. But I thought I was seeking things and, and other things that make me happy. When Thomas Jefferson wrote uh, in the Declaration of Independence, they were entitled The Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. I read, I read a number of articles this week about that phrase, and what most of them seem to conclude is Thomas Jefferson was reading other writings at the time about the pursuit of happiness, and that the pursuit of happiness wasn't about your own personal pleasure wasn't about my own individual thing here going on. He said, actually, uh, and I'm going to quote this here, this one article. Um, Alexander Hamilton and other of the founding fathers refer to a social happiness. It was civic virtues. It was, um, where, where's my, civic virtues like courage, moderation, and justice. Courage, moderation, and justice. As we pursue these virtues as a society we are pursuing happiness in America. Okay? So, although that phrase has been turned around and we would read it as, do what makes you happy, that's probably not what Thomas Jefferson meant when he wrote it. It was more of a civic thing. It's all of us as a society pursuing virtuous things like courage, moderation, and justice. Interesting. Now, uh... Last thing I want to say, and then we're done, and, and we'll sing and then we'll take communion, uh, is how in the world do you please God? Please Him. I talked about seeking God and pleasing God. Uh, for those that would like that spelled out a little more clearly, uh, there's a lot of verses about pleasing God. Let me give you a couple really awesome ones. Uh, let's do the Hebrews one first. Without faith, you know this, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists. And that he rewards, we could put in parentheses, right? He rewards with joy those who earnestly seek him. He rewards, one of his rewards is joy. Those who earnestly seek him. And then you've got, in verse 7 and 8, which we're not going to put up there, but you've got, by faith Noah built an ark. He obeyed God. Joy. You've got, by faith Abraham. Left his home country to the land God told him to go to. He obeyed joy. Okay? And then, uh, first Thessalonians four, one more. Here's the Apostle Paul on it. Finally, brothers, as we instructed you how to live, how to live in order to please God, as in fact you were living. Now, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, and then guess what he does after that? He starts talking about immoral things that you're supposed to avoid so that you could live a life pleasing to the Lord. He goes straight to sexual immorality in the next verses, actually. Um, How do I please God? I'd say two words. Faith and works. Those are not new ideas. You know that. If you want to be happy in this life, you will stop pursuing happiness and you will pursue your Savior. You will place your faith in Him and you will obey all the things He's commanded so that His joy may be in you and be complete. Let's pray. Jesus, it's amazing that Solomon agrees with you so, so clearly. So clearly. It shouldn't surprise us because it's all your word, Jesus. Your words stand forever. But to see it like that. Would you please help us stop putting our trust in things and people to ultimately make us happy and start placing our hope ultimately in you? Yes, I know you've given us things to enjoy. You have. You've given us spouses, wonderful people that we enjoy and love deeply. But may we, never, may we never put our ultimate pursuit of happiness in any of that, but only in you. For those of us that are hopelessly lost in this cycle of working and getting stuff and thinking it will make us happy, will you please help unravel the loyalties of our heart so that we may, we may be loyal to you.